Father in heaven, we do come to you expectantly this morning because we know that you love to speak and we have your word in our hands. And so soften our hearts and speak afresh to us as a people together, the church family, but also to us as individuals. Be at work, we pray. Amen. I want you to, um, to come, please, into the imaginary shoes of a primary school boy. Fun year at primary, year six, about to go up to secondary on the cusp of the rest of your life. And at first glance, he seems like a, an exemplary pupil. If you were an Ofsted, Ofsted inspector, stood at the back of the classroom looking in, you would be impressed. He behavior, effort, contribution, attitude, he's caring, he's, he's making an effort. And yet if you know his story, you will, if you knew him in previous years, you might be surprised, you might be surprised by, by what he is like now, by what you see now. Because in reality, from reception onwards, he has been hard work, he's been disruptive, unkind, complicated, and yet something has changed in this 10, 11-year-old boy. Everything has changed, in fact. And the change has come from this foundational idea that he has changed families. You see, in in earlier life, from reception up to year five, he had a very difficult home life that wasn't picked up. Uh, Unkind, abusive, unpleasant. And as is often the case, what he saw and he experienced, he then passed on to other people. He had a deserved reputation for being a bit of a nightmare by the teachers. He was well acquainted with the head teacher and with the detention room, and yet now, year six, he's different. Something has changed. And he's different because he was removed from that family and has been placed into this family, into a new one. He's got a new surname, a new passport, a new identity, a new way of doing things. Of course, muscle memory kicks in. And the old ways of responding are still lurking there. And again and again and again, he's been gently corrected by his parents. And that's, that's not how we do things in this family. That's, that's not how you do things now. But he is certainly different. And teachers have noticed, and his friends have noticed, and everyone's noticed. He's changed who he is because... He's changed how he behaves because of who he is. But actually, there's a second thing, too, because in one sense, he's, he's looking at his watch. He's changed how he behaves because of when he is. And he looks back on his first five years of primary, and he's sad. And he's sad about how he used to behave. He's sad about how he used to be, the people he, he wound up, of the teachers who got annoyed with him. And he's ashamed as he looks back. And he looks ahead to this final year of primary school, months ahead, And he's got an opportunity to make it something different. The clock is ticking. The time is short. And he wants this last year to be different from the previous years. He he wants even to make amends, to make it up to friends and staff and teachers. and, And you see, who he is now and when he is now, and everything is different. Life is different And it's something like that kind of an idea that Peter is making for us in our passage this morning. Do you remember for the believers he's writing to, they were exiled yet elect. They were scattered yet special. It it felt like they were on their own, but actually God was with them. And even in the midst of increasing pressure from the outside and accusations and 
abuse and words. He wants them to live different lives, good lives, hopeful lives. Why? Well, because of our verses this morning of who they now are and because of when they now are. And so it strikes me that these verses are for people like us, people who struggle to live different lives. So if you've never looked back at a day just gone and you've got head in hands and you're disappointed with yourself and you think, why did I respond in that way? Why did I say that? Why? If I could just press rewind and have another go at the day, or maybe things would be a bit better. Or if you look at yourself and you're still struggling with the sins from 25 years ago and it wasn't meant to be like this. Or if you look in and you think, why is there not more fruit in my life? Why is there not more prayer or love or kindness or service? And why does my life, if I'm honest, look pretty much like everyone else living on our streets? All my colleagues, all my classmates, all my course mates. And if you think that kind of thing, then maybe these verses are for you as they are for me. I think Peter has treasure for us this morning. If we can be honest with how we're doing and who we are. And we're going to split the passage into two, as the NIV does. Um, Up to verse 6 for the first half, there should be a point on the screen, knowing who you now are changes everything. And you see, like our little boy at the start, grasping our new identity, grasping who we now follow, is the first step to our new life. That's what Peter's getting at, I think, in 4 verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. See, Jesus suffered... Our king suffered, and so the people of Jesus are called to follow behind. Where our king goes, so we go. But that's not easy, is it? Might be easy on a Sunday morning in church, or easier perhaps, but it's much harder through the week. This new identity, this new person we are following, leads to a new purpose. And Peter knows it's not easy, so he says we need to arm ourselves. It's a military word. It's arm yourself with the same attitude. We, we wake up, and as you wake up in the morning with your first cup of tea, you think, I need to be ready for battle this morning. To follow Jesus this morning will be a battle. Lord, help me to be prepared to follow him, whether that means I'm loved or disgraced or valued or sneered at. The daily attitude to not go with approval, to not go with comfort, but to follow after Christ. Arm yourselves with the same attitude. And why, end of verse 1, it says, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And your radar ought to be twitching at this point. You're thinking, yikes, Peter, what's going on here? Can we achieve some sort of sinless perfectionism if we can just suffer enough? Then you'll kind of get through and you'll be perfect. Is that what he's getting at? Done with sin forever? Some have taken it that way. I don't think that's what he's getting at. I don't think that sits in line with the rest of the New Testament. I think better is, if you are prepared to suffer... If you're willing to suffer like Jesus, then in a sense, you must be dead to sin. You have died to yourself. Because you will know if your life is about you, 
If you're Monday, you're Tuesday, you're Wednesday, it's all about you and what you can get out of it. You almost certainly will not be prepared to suffer for Christ. Because suffering is not very nice. And we want approval and we want comfort. And, and yet if we are, if we're done with sin, if we're done with self, then we might be prepared to follow after Jesus. And so verse 2, do you see it? As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for human evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You you follow Jesus. You don't live for yourself anymore. It's not about you anymore. Your life is not about you. And my life is not about me. And what does that new sort of life look like? Well, verse 3, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are a new people People now, they don't live as they used to live. New peoples, new priority, new identity, new everything. And how did they used to live? Well, it's striking, isn't it? The, the Greco-Roman world is not very far from, from, from ours. A mix of alcohol and sex and self and pleasure and a world where your appetites rule. Actually, very similar to our world. A world of swipe rights and hookup cultures and one-night stands and notches on bedposts. And, and yet, did you see, Peter says, Peter says this church, the churches he's writing to, are full of those kinds of people, people with a past, people who presumably spent time doing those things, people with a history, people with skeletons in the closet, people with messy lives. Maybe even people like you this morning. And you, and you look back and you're not, you're not happy with how you used to live. And Peter says that is who they were. That is how they used to live. But they are scattered and yet special. They are exiles and yet they are elect. They're different. They've received grace and they follow Jesus. They follow Christ and so they're willing to arm themselves with his attitude such that they might suffer for him. They are lights in the darkness. People who instead of asking, what about me and what do I want today and what am I going to get from my Tuesday, ask, huh, what about Jesus? And what would he have me do today? How can I live for him today? And the old mates in the office, verse 4, they're surprised. They're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living. They heap abuse on you. And and some of you will know something of that. The reality of being different. And so the pain of rejection, the words that come, maybe even those we considered and called friends. And yet now they give you grief for what you don't do. It's a theme, isn't it? We've seen through the letter a number of times. The, the power of words. And it, I think it feels like in 1 Peter we're not quite at the point of physical abuse for believers here. I don't think it's more the power of words. So do you remember, I mean, we can just fly over. 2.12, they accuse you of doing wrong. Or 3 verse 9, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Or 3.16, so that those who speak maliciously may be ashamed of their slander. And 
And words hurt. And Peter reminds them, friends, this isn't the end of the story. Words might hurt, but this is not the end of the story. It's a Psalm 73 kind of pivot, eyes open, hinge moment. It might seem like they have the upper hand. It might seem like they are winning. It might seem like those against God are getting all their way. And yet he says, verse 5, this is not the end of the story. This is not it. There's more to come. This is not all that life is about here and now. It's as if we're just halfway through the book and we know the end of the story. We know where it's going. We, we know that you will stand before your creator on the final day. And so when it feels like they are getting everything and they're getting their way and they are winning, well, remember verse 5. They will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. It's a moral universe, the Bible says. A universe in which everything eventually will be put right. Every tear will be wiped from every eye and every injustice will be overturned. And that is such a comfort for believers around the world this morning who are persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And maybe that's a comfort for you as you feel something of that abuse and accusation by those who hate Christ and so heap abuse on you. And then verse 6. Verse 6 is a slightly strange verse. I think the best way to take it is, just as Jesus, last week 3 verse 18, just as he died according to the body and was raised again to life by the Holy Spirit, or so his people will be as well. Verse 1, he suffered and so we are called to suffer. Verse 6, he died and was raised to life again, well so will we be. We follow him. And so, sisters and brothers, if you are a believer, if you are one who belongs to Christ, if you follow after him, then remember who you now are. And remember that that changes everything. It, it means that our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Wednesdays are just different now. It's easy to sort of drift back into what we were, but remember who you now are. And so like the little boy at the start, we don't do things like we used to do them anymore. That's not how we do things around here in this family. So my life is not about me. And your life is not about you. It's him. And so we arm ourselves and we're prepared to suffer because we follow after our king and we we stop being driven by our appetites and we are willing to take abuse that this change brings and, and we know this is not the end of the story but there is more to come, there is reality to come. So first half, knowing who you now are changes everything. Second half, 7 to 11, knowing when you now are changes everything. I'm going to read again, verse 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength 
God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Remember the boy at the start? Yes, year six. He knows the time is short, and so he wants to make the most of his final year at primary. And Peter wants us to have a similar mindset to steward the opportunities that we have well because time is short. To make the most of what we have. So let me ask you, do you have a bucket list? Be honest. You know, the things you want to do, the places you want to go before the end, the things you want to kind of squeeze in to your life, what's on your list? strikes me that these verses read a little bit like an alternative bucket list for believers. And where everyone else says, how much can I squeeze out of my limited time to maximize my enjoyment of life, to do all the things I long to do and to travel here, there and everywhere and to milk it for all it's worth, for the Christian, look, we see, do you see the end of all things is near? Time is limited but it's not about doing it for me and what I can squeeze out of my life. It's what can I do for him because time is limited. How can I steward my time well? How can I steward my gifts well? Because the end of all things is near. It's not about me, it's him and his kingdom. Because my life is not about me, it's about him and his kingdom. Ah, So next question, what's on your bucket list for him then? You're busy scribbling around your first bucket list. In, in Bible terms, we are living in the last days, the days when Jesus has risen, ascended, seated, and yet he's not come back. But he will one day. He will come back and judge, won't he, verse 5? But how are we to live in these times now? What's meant to be on our alternative bucket list? Well, look down. It's striking, isn't it? It's nothing special. It's just normal Christian life for normal Christian people. In one sense. And yet, on the other hand, in a world like ours, where it's all about self and me, it's extraordinary. I mean, just, being, just imagine being part of a church family that takes verses like this really seriously, that shapes our lives around, verse 7, the end of all things is near. And so time is short, and so we, we reshape our weeks to remember that he's coming back. Track it through, verse 7. First thing on our bucket list, alert and sober-minded, and you think, I'm ready to pounce. What, what's going to happen? Uh, so we pray. Does that seem right? Surely it's alert and sober-minded because we're armed and know we're praying. And when time is short, when life is brief, you work out what matters and so you know what to pray for. The fact that the end of all things is near, it focuses your priorities. God is bringing history to a close and so prayer becomes important because you know it's the only way in which there can be lasting fruit. Because you need God to help us. I wonder, maybe we've lost sense of that urgency, and so many of us do struggle to pray. Maybe we've got the wrong kind of bucket list. It would be remiss of me, and I'll get 
clobbered by Peter Lever, but you can pray on a Thursday morning here from 7 to 8. You will know that if you're a regular. We've got our first Tuesday prayer meeting happening each month. This week, one time only offer, it's first Wednesday. And we're praying with CLC over the roads. But more importantly, maybe it's praying on your own or with your friends or your spouse or in your family because you are alert and of sober mind and so you pray. Okay, that's the first thing. Second one, above all, love each other deeply. He's already reminded them, do you remember back in 122, um, so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. But here, 8, love each other deeply, 4 verse 8, because love covers a multitude of sins. And he's not saying that your love atones for people and for their sin, or indeed atones for your sin. But it's, I think, that love forgives. Love overlooks transgressions. It, it, it keeps short accounts in everyday life. It's, it's slow to anger, abounding in love, type love. Or the other way, it's not holding grudges. It's not allowing resentments to marinate and to fester. It's a church where you're not made to pay for your sins. Now, that doesn't mean we avoid difficult conversations. That doesn't mean sometimes we have to deal with difficulties. Of course not. But it does seem to me we are called to be those who love. And love covers a multitude of sins. Again, it would be remiss of me not to ask whether there's someone you need to forgive. I can't look into your hearts, thankfully. But maybe there's someone you need to love deeply in such a way that you kind of let them off the hook that you've put them on in your heart. Why? Because why do we, why do we love? Why do we forgive? Well, because he loves us. He forgives us. He is merciful towards us. He doesn't hold our sins against us. He is kind. He is patient. And if that's what he is like, then... That's what you are becoming like, and that's what we need to be like. Lives shaped by his deep love for us. So what else does that love look like? It's not just forgiveness. It seems to me it's hospitality as well. It's non-grumbling hospitality. It's open doors and open hearts. It's a love for the outsider, but not in a, oh, if I have to, type way. But it's a deliberate, non-moaning, non-complaining, we'd love to have you over. We'd love to show you something of God's hospitality to us. It's, um, it's service as well, verse 10. It's that sort of family meal picture that we often use at Magdalen Road. Um, God gives you gifts, but they're not for you. They're for all of us in one sense. You open up the Christmas morning package and there's a gift and yet, you, in a sense, you are to have this gift that God has given you for the sake of everybody else. And so we all get stuck in. We are all stewarding his grace to one another. We're not dams who collect God's grace and never pass it on. And the water kind of flows in and we just kind of cling on to it and cling on to it. This is for me, it's mine. And then we pass it on, and 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 we pass it on. It's not stuck with us, but flowing through us. Imagine that kind of a church. 
We know that time is short, and so we are perpetual servers, stewarding God's grace in all its forms to one another. And it does come in various forms, doesn't it? It might be speaking, he said, and so it's the very words of God you are speaking. I guess that's something back at the end of chapter 1 as well, that the word of God is enduring, endures forever. And so as we we open up the Bible, we know that he is speaking in a timeless, enduring way. But actually what's vital is that it's done in his strength as well. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. It's, it's in his strength and it's for his glory, which means we've, we finish the passage and there's a humbling that's gone on. I love this. You can read sort of verses like this and you think, yeah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to serve and it's going to be amazing. I'm ready to go. Come on. But actually they leave us humble, don't they? Because you serve because he equips you to do so. You serve because he gets the glory. You serve, and do you know, friends, it's not about you still. It's him as we follow after Christ. God always equips us for what he calls us to do in our weakness and our inability and our limitations. And so for anyone looking in, it can never actually be about us because he is the one providing what we need and he helps us. And so it's hard, we still try, but it's hard for us to get puffed up when it's God providing all that we need to serve him. It was always about him, it was never about us. And so again, our little chap at the beginning, year six primary, he knows who he is now, and he knows that the clock is ticking, he knows when he is now. Also, for us, Modern Road, as you know who you now are, as you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, so that shapes your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But actually, more than that, because we know when we now are, we know that our time is short. And so as a church and as individuals, it's to make us rethink our bucket lists. So that our life is not about us. It is to make us rethink life and our priorities. And, and so being willing to pray, love, serve, speak, be hospitable, or however God has gifted you, that you know the end of all things is near. And you know that he will equip you. And you know it's not about you, it's about him. And so our lives are focused on him because of who we are, because of when we are. And if anyone serves, he finishes, they should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we confess how how forgetful we can be, how much our hearts can drift and slide away and we forget who we are and that we follow Jesus and we confess we forget when we are and that time is short, the end of all things is near. 
And so we long that those two realities would increasingly shape us as individuals and shape us as a church family. And we confess as well that so easily it becomes about us, and so we long that we might decrease, that he might increase. Thank you that you provide us with the strength to do the things that you call us to do, and thank you that we do those things not for us, but for for you. That God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. A bit work in us, please. Shape us, form us, make us into the likeness of him as we follow after him. Amen.